Welcome to the Runner's Roundtable podcast. Season three is all about the how-tos of running, and in this episode, I'm talking all things postpartum with postnatal fitness specialist, personal trainer, and run coach, Melissa Soraby. We go into postpartum myths and what to expect when it comes to running in a postpartum body. Enjoy this episode, and thanks for listening. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Runner's Roundtable. Season three is all about the how-tos of running. And I am so excited and elated to have Melissa Sorovi on the episode. If I did not pronounce that correctly, please correct me so that we all know how to say your last name. As women, we got to stand up for ourselves and be like, this is my name and that's how you pronounce it. So welcome so much. Welcome so much. Thank you so much. And welcome to the podcast. We are going to talk about postpartum running. And one of the things that I didn't realize about myself until recording conversations for this podcast was that I started running as a postpartum mom. I had a two and a half year old and a six month old, right? That's where I was when I decided I was going to start running. Now, looking back, and I'm going to be totally frank here. If y'all don't like TMI, skip over the next few minutes of my story here. (laughs) Because in the beginning, I thought it was normal to pee on myself when I ran and when I ran fast. And I didn't realize that there was this whole pelvic region of my body that I should have spent (laughs) time trying to rehabilitate. And the first time around, because I wasn't a runner, my body just, I guess it came back or what I was doing between, I think at that time I was doing more Pilates based workouts. I just didn't realize it. And for the longest time I thought, oh, I'm just always going to have to run with a pad because I'm not going to be able to control my bladder. I, again, I had no clue up until, I mean, I had a clue but it didn't fully hit me until about a year ago that at six months, I was still very much in postpartum and that I had also chosen probably one of the physically most physically demanding things for my body at the time. And I didn't realize that. So that is my intro to this. And I always like to share personal stories because I want to remind everyone, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm still trying to figure it out, but that's why we have these conversations with someone like Melissa who can maybe hold our hands a little bit and help explain things. So before you address my story, I want to hear about your story and how you came to be where you're at right now. All right. Well, so thank you for having me on here. It's always a a pleasure to be on podcasts. I love podcasts. Um, I actually had one for a while, but life got in the way, you know, kids and all that. Um, so it's on like a indefinite hiatus, but I love podcasts and I love the uh, message you're trying to get out to your listeners. Um, so I'm very thankful to be here. Um, so my story is not a traditional story. So I am a certified running coach. Uh, I'm also a certified personal trainer and I'm a certified postnatal fitness specialist. Um, and I focus on coaching moms. Um, who want to cross the finish line of their next race with confidence. Um, So that's kind of me in a nutshell where I am today. 
Uh, ironically, the day that we are recording this is the first day that I am no longer an active duty service member. Um, I'm now retired from 20 years of service in the Navy. Um, so I'm sitting here, you know, home today by myself. I'm like, I feel like I need to tell someone. So I'm telling you all here. Yes. Congratulations. Um, and thank you. Yeah. So it's kind of an odd feeling as I'm like all day, like reflecting back on how I got to where I am as a running coach. And I'm not going to go too far deep. My, my time in the service, I, I was a ship driver and then I taught at the Naval Academy, um, for 11 of my 20 years in the math department. So I didn't really have direct relationship into running and coaching, or let's just rephrase that, as, as the coach for a runner in my you know, former career. Um, but what it did give me is the appreciation for running because that's very important in my postpartum journey because we have fitness tests and there were rules and I had to do a fitness test um, after having babies. Now they have, thankfully, since I had with, when I had my first child gave some relief. So my first fitness test, it's a mile and a half run and it is considered a sprint. So you mentioned about this high speed. Um, I probably did pee myself that day because I went so fast, but it wasn't a normal, uh, fast and no, you shouldn't pee yourself when you're running. If you are, we should, we'll talk about that. Um, but so my first fitness test was uh, 11 months after my first child. And then my second fitness test, I don't remember how long it was. I think I actually, the way the timing worked was actually 14 months after my second child. Um, but okay. So anyway, I did have to run. So I was always on this journey of like me, I should also rephrase. I was like the slow person. I did ROTC in college and I was like the slowest one of the slow people. Um, and always like, am I going to make my time on my run? Because they gave us like higher standards we had to meet. So I come into the running world knowing I'm not the fastest person, but also knowing that if you want to accomplish a goal that you can, um, and you can get there. Usually the supportive people is one of those things that helps you get across that finish line with confidence, whatever that finish line is. Um, so I kind of went through like all the half marathons, marathon and short piece of that story, just running made me just get, I was getting a little, little bit faster, but not a lot faster with all the running I was doing. And I actually started, uh, gaining weight with just running. Um, so then I found strength training. Um, and then in that process of finding strength training specifically, I found uh, a really amazing kettlebell instructor. Um, and that's kind of where my vision turned to where I want to be able to help women um, mm. get stronger. Um, and so that was a, over 10 years ago that I first had that like, wow, being strong is super cool. Um, and now I've meshed those two together um, because you can't run without a proper strength program. Well, let me rephrase it. You can't continue to run well, injury-free and make gains without a proper strength program. And so I've like melded that together. And then once I became a mom myself, I knew I wanted to work specifically with moms. Like I actually got an email the other day of a man and said, I know I'm not a mom, but I'm a dad. I'm like, I'm sorry. I work exclusively with women and blah, blah, blah. Just because we are a special, special group of people. And I work mostly with moms. There are a few women that I coach who don't have children, uh, but most of them 
do. And some of them have adult children. Um, I actually coach my mom, so I am one of her adult children. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> and so I'm here now with a mission to um, help moms get make themselves the priority that they should be so then they can go on to serve their family like they want to without the guilt and without um, that feeling of, oh, well, I need to like do X, Y, and Z before I get my run in. Oh, that is one of the hardest things. And I, I've shared before and I'll share with you, right? So I started running in 2012. And like I said, my daughters were two and a half and six months old at the time. And the reason I picked running was because I could do that with them. It didn't require me going to a class. I could put them in a stroller and at whatever hour of the day, whether it's morning, whatever it was, I could put them in the stroller. And that was something that was just so easy for me to do. Not that what I was doing was physically easy, but the timing of it was easy. And I had, once I started running without them, definitely guilt over leaving them. Guilt over, I remember the Saturday long runs. Once I started doing those, oh, how I felt guilty not being home when they woke up. I felt guilty that my husband had to do more. And I'm like, it's not more. He just has to do the dad stuff. Like, it's like, it's like yeah. no one tells me I'm doing more. It's just expected that I do it. So that was something that mentally was really hard to get through. And I've also shared this story where in my first half marathon, I struggled. I hit the wall at mile seven and a half. And again, when I look back, I'm like, are you ran a half marathon within the first year? By the time my youngest had turned one, I had already ran two half marathons. So like, again, looking back, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, Steph, like it pays not to know because when you don't know, you don't know, you just do. <laughs> but in that first half marathon, I hit the wall and I wanted to finish. I was like, I'm just going to sit here and wait for the little van to pick me up. And honestly, what got me to keep moving was the guilt the guilt of, oh, my family sacrificed all their Saturdays with me so that I could run. Now, when I finished, the story changed, right? For me, when I finished, I was like, yes, I'm so strong. I can't believe I did that. It had nothing to do with my family. I was just like, I did that. No one can take that away from me. But the guilt, I can't get over the guilt. And even now, the guilt has changed and it shows up in a very different way, right? Right now, for me, the guilt shows up that I wake up early to run so that I don't miss out on being with the kids or I don't miss out on that. It's one of those things where it's like, yes, there's guilt, but also like I appreciate waking up early because I feel like I get ahead of the day <laughs> with my children. I'm not catching up, but it's hard. So how do you, when your athletes come to you and they talk about guilt, how do you start to break that down for them? Because the guilt is, it's not really serving anybody. Yeah. So most of the time when my athletes, by the time I have someone come to me, they're, you know, usually ready to invest in themselves. 
And I kind of see it as most of them have accepted the guilt, right? And they're like, okay, well, I, this is my goal and I want to get it done. And like the rest is just going to have to happen. Like, right. And so it's like, they've accepted it. Kind of like you said, you now still have it. It's just in a different form. You've almost accepted it in the way of like your early morning mm-hmm. runs. And so I just try to remind them that, you know, it's a small amount of time of the whole day, week, month that if this isn't, you know, you state that this is important to you for you to do this and still be able to give back to them. Like you've done the long runs that have like depleted you then for the rest of Saturday, right? You want to make sure that we're you know, fueling and hydrating and everything prior to that run. So when you're done with your run, you fuel again and go on your day. So you're not, because I think the women that I work with often can justify that chunk of time, but it's like, well, what if I'm too tired then to continue the rest of the day, which happens, especially when you get to those longer runs, seven, eight, nine miles, you know, well over 90 minutes and stuff. So that's the piece I'm like, well, you, you know, we, we, I kind of go backwards and like, well, let's prepare you better checking on your sleep, your hydration, your nutrition, that, that way you're propelled, not just for the run, but those hours after the run. And then for the next training event, whatever that might be as well. So recovery tools. Yeah. It's today's run is based on yesterday's efforts, right? Like I, I try to think of that of like, Oh, I'll have days where I know for myself, oh, that run is going to suck because the day before I didn't hydrate enough or I had a late lunch or whatever the case is. That's definitely something for me that comes up a lot, particularly as a mom, right? Because most of the time I'm forgetting to do things, forgetting to do things because I'm chauffeuring my kids from here to there or I'm doing things from here to there. And I find that I have to, extend myself so much grace to like figure it out and it can get frustrating, right? Like it can get really frustrating when you have your goals or you have the things that you're desiring to do. And then your kids are like, Hey, here's a monkey wrench. We're going to throw it into that. Right. Like, I feel like the, the best example is with sleep of, oh, tomorrow I have a long run. Let me try to go to bed early. And then in the middle of the night, a kid comes into the bed saying, my, again, my kids are older now, but I remember them coming in. Oh, my throat hurts. My teeth hurt. My, I can't sleep. Or I had whatever. And it's like, oh, well that, that beautiful eight hours of sleep that I was hoping to get is no longer that. How do we give ourselves that flexibility? Because I find, and maybe here's a, here's a question for you. When you start to work with people, say they go from not having children to having children. And obviously the expectation is I'm going to continue to train like mm-hmm. I did before I had children. What is that conversation like between you and the athlete? So if, if I have trained with them, like on both sides, it's really about realigning, like you said, the expectations. And I like to think of like, everything is brand new. It's almost as if you are a new runner Mm. um, versus like, I mean, I'm going to reference like the getting your body back. Like your body can't go back to being pre postpartum because like that doesn't exist. Like it is now postpartum. You can't go back to what you were before. 
Um, so I think of the same thing with your running is, and, and I would also put this in if you're recovering from an illness or an injury. Well, yes, your memory knows what it was like to run and to do all of these things. And you see a number pace on your watch or whatever your app. And you're like, oh man, I'm so slow. Um, well, I, I promise you there's a point where the time you thought you were so slow um, is going to be the time you wish you had in some future moment, because I have those all the time now as I'm over 40. Um, and I'm like, you know, a memory pops up of these like paces. I've actually stopped sharing my pace um, in social media um, and like in my own personal Facebook group that I run. And then in, like my social media, I used to always do like the Strava snapshot with paces. And I don't do that anymore because my number today isn't a reflection of who I am and who I was or who I will be. So like I went on a run, I'll, I'll maybe say I did three miles. Sometimes I don't even say how far I went. It just depends on how what I feel that day. And I feel like we were all stuck in those old numbers and we're stuck in those old numbers and paces. And I see those old paces came, come up and I had one show up um, from 2020, three years ago that I was like, I remember thinking how it actually, it said like, oh, and a slow run today. And I was like, well, if I could go a minute slower than that today, I would be going fast. And when it comes to postpartum that, you know, when, once you become pregnant, once you have a baby, there's new lines there that you have to kind of think about starting over and not over completely. Like I said, you have the mental memory, um, but your expectations need to start from a blank slate. I just want to highlight something that you said, because again, I don't think I, I strongly dislike the bounce back mentality. And it's because of what you said, you're not going back to that body because that body no longer exists like that. It's just not there. And, and I, as I've gotten older and as I've progressed as a runner, I find that even for myself, looking back at my previous PRs and previous accomplishments, performances, however we want to label it, I appreciate them, but they are that version of Stephanie, not today's version of Stephanie, because life is different. I'm different. Mentally, I'm different. Physically, I'm different. So I appreciate how you said the paces because it is so easy to get caught up and say, oh, but three years ago, and I'm just going to give numbers for simplicity, say three years ago, my easy pace was 10, a 10 minute mile. Mm -hmm. And now my easy pace is a 12 minute mile. I've gotten slower. And it's like, okay, maybe yes, but also maybe you've gotten smarter. Maybe you've gotten smarter with how you approach running. So the numbers don't tell the entirety of the story. And the numbers also just don't tell the life that you've lived in between that time. And I just really appreciate that, that you said that, that postpartum, your body is different because it is a different body. What are some of the common myths or misconceptions people have about that postpartum period? Because as I shared, I started running six months after giving birth. I had no clue what I was doing. I really think that I was successful 
because I was young and my body was like bubble gum, right? Like, or like a rubber band, I could pull it apart and it would come back in and it would be okay. That worked. That worked for the first four years of me running. And then afterwards I burnt out. And now I'm in a phase of embracing that things have to shift. I have to spend more time strength training and less time running. And that messes with my mentality. Because again, if I go back to comparing myself, back then I would run 50, 60 mile weeks. And let me tell you, I will never do that again because I was miserable when I did that, right? So what are some of these common misconceptions that come up in postpartum? Because I feel like a lot of people go into it with very high expectations. And then the reality can be, I don't want to say soul crushing, but maybe heartbreaking. So I'll start kind of on the timeline. Um, and we'll start with that six week checkup. Um, so a lot of women are like, oh, I want to, I can't wait for my six week checkup so I can go for a run. Um, that six week checkup is just making sure things are progressing appropriately for that time. And like, you're clear to start movement, um, by the doctor or whoever you see nurse practitioner or whatever you see at that point. Um, but that doesn't mean you should go start running a 5k every day. Um, and I'll back that up just a little bit. Some people are so afraid of doing anything up till that six week point. Um, but there's actually a lot that you can do. There's a lot of gentle movement you can do. Um, once you're feeling okay, um, working on the pelvic floor and your core to help regain that structure that you need to help you run better when you get back to running. Um, so that six week checkup as your green light to activity um, is a, in my mind, a myth that you have zero restrictions. I also think it's a myth that mm -hmm. you can't do anything up until that point. And whether you've had a C-section or a vaginal birth is gonna make that roadmap different. Um, and each child is different too. The two births I had, both of my recoveries were different. One, on my second birth, I had a 21 month old who was hanging around with me and I was like trying to get her to school every day by eight um, for breakfast. And we usually made it by 11 for lunch. <laughs> like that's how our days were. So you can't compare baby to baby. Um, because when you have that first baby and it's just you and this baby and you're bonding, life's usually, well, life can be, can be really good. It can also not be, and I understand that. Um, but then you might have a second or third, right? And then there, there are other human beings. You're not just caring for yourself and a little baby. You have a bigger baby or school age kids or whichever. So that you can't compare births you can't compare to your friends mm. you can't compare to your mother your sister your aunts it's each one is different um that's probably a second myth is that each birth is different like from the previous um so we can talk a little the gentle movement that you want to do um is really a like a connection between um your core and your pelvic floor um and if you're not familiar with the pelvic floor that is a um 
sheath of fascia and muscles that are connected from the front of your pelvis to the back of your pelvis. And for a woman, there are three openings within that muscle musculature. Um, and so one of those is the vagina that had to open up to 10 centimeters and push a human being out of it. Um, so if you think about your bicep, where if your bicep had to open up and push something out of it, right, it's probably going to take some time to heal again. Um, and so at that six week checkup, that is usually where things are progressing to where they should be. So your uterus is shrinking. Um, if you had any tearing or an episiotomy that that is healing correctly. Um, it's not saying mm -hmm. your body is a hundred percent ready for high impact training. Um, gentle walking can also be really good up to that six week period. Um, but I also, and I did do that. I did not have C-sections, but if you have a C-section, that forward reach on a stroller, because you're probably taking your baby with you, can add some additional pressure to the C-section scar. Um, and um, also when you're pushing a stroller, you have to be a little bit more aware of your posture, because um, once those hands go in front of you, it can change the posture of your pelvis uh, once you start pushing. Um, so I feel like I've digressed on the myths there, but you can do some walking, but gentle walking, again, no record break, breaking paces here, um, and some connection breaths with your core and your pelvic floor. Um, also working on relaxing the floor and um, not just doing what will be my third myth here is Kegels. Kegels are not the answer to your pelvic floor. Um, they have a place and um, it is not the one answer. So there's exercises you can do to help, but usually our pelvic floors kind of past this initial postpartum phase where clearly they've been stretched out. Um, usually our pelvic floors are kind of too tense um, and then not able to relax enough. It's kind of a challenge. So um, most women, not most, let me rephrase that. There are a subset of women who hold tension in their pelvic floor. So if you ever have like tension in your upper traps or your neck, that happens in your pelvic floor also. And so mm -hmm. one of the other things is not just learning how to get that connection between the pelvic floor and the core, but also being able to relax um, your pelvic floor and your core um, with your diaphragm and um, being able to do that without leakage. It's kind of like that ultimate goal. That's so great to know. And I have a question for you because for me personally, I had a C-section with my first and a vaginal with my second. So V back there, my kids are two years apart and the recoveries were totally different. And I feel like part of that experience for me was not only the physical recovery, but also the mental recovery from those birth experiences as well. So the question I have for you, because you had mentioned in a vaginal birth, pelvic floor has to, or the fascia there, it does open, but the pelvic floor is still under strain, even in a C-section, right? Just from the yeah. months of holding yeah. the baby. So pelvic floor, I feel like I see people call it pelvic floor rehab. I don't know if that's what you would call it. But that's something that's important regardless of the type of birth, yeah? 
Yes, absolutely. So just the weight of the baby inside of you, it's pushing onto your cervix, which is connected to your vagina, which goes through the pelvic floor. So just having that weight, um, it also presses on your bladder. Um, and depending on the position of the baby can also put extra pressure on your rectum as well. So those are those three, um, the three holes. openings in the pelvic floor musculature. And so just the weight of having a baby um, inside of you, even if you have a C-section, which I'll kind of come back to that connection back to those muscles. So you, puts pressure on there. So again, it'd be like with your bicep, somebody just like holding on to your arm, like in a vice grip, right. And putting pressure on it. And then you're trying to lift a 50 pound weight. Um, like your muscles gets tired from the like pressure and that pain of somebody gripping you. That was a weird analogy. I'm not sure where that one came from. <laughs> um, and then the other piece I've mentioned that core in the pelvic floor connection. Um, so your would be remiss to not mention your whole torso makes up a, a kind of like a can, like a canister. And so if you think of a soda can, right, that's round and stiff, if there's you know good tension in there, like soda, and you try to step on it to smash it, it's not going to smash because it's got good tension. Um, when it when you drink drink the soda, you can then step on it and crush because that tension is gone. So we want to have that proper tension within that core canisters, another uh reference that you can have for that area. So the pelvic floor is on the bottom and then you have your diaphragm on the top and then your uh, transverse abdominis and your rectus abdominis in the middle. So your torso makes that canister. And so, you know, if we want to talk about leakage, we talked about kind of when you go faster or maybe farther. And um, I'll mention that here shortly a little bit more, but that's when you have so much tension and then you exert a little bit more force and the weakness is your pelvic floor. Um, and so that's where you have leakage um, because it just can't keep that tension anymore. Um, so it's like you've poked a hole in the side of that can and things start leaking out. Um, so that's one of the types of leakage is where there's like an impact the other one. And honestly, I still deal with this one every now and then today is like the sneezing. If I have a sneeze that comes like so sudden and I can't tighten my pelvic floor, I, I might leak a little. Um, if it's a slow sneeze, I can usually brace it and then hold it in. Um, but that impact, um, and so that's where the running can come in too, right? When you're impact, if you think, oh, like every other step I'm leaking. Um, and fun fact, you don't have to have had a child to leak when you pee. Um, in my very first half marathon, my first race ever, 20 years ago. I didn't train very well for it. Don't recommend that. Um, but I was trying to go really fast because that's what, you know, I was also 22 and I ended up peeing. Like I was running and I was like, Oh, I just peed. And I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And thankfully there were bathrooms like right when I, that happened. So I went to the bathroom. So then it didn't happen the rest of the race, but that, that tension still exists. And I was 22, had no babies, um, had never been pregnant. So I, it, this happens with some other impact sports in young women, uh, track and field and gymnastics are the two that kind of come to my mind, or maybe like a tumbling cheer, um, athlete, um, where you have a lot of impact, um, and it can be hard for your pelvic floor to keep up without adequate training for it. Yeah. That's what I had 
and I don't know if the terminology is going to be correct, but that's what I had understood was that be, I'm going to speak to running specifically, but because of the force of just the weight of your body coming down on that canister, that to me was so enlightening where I was like, oh no, it's not my legs, but it's just the force of everything mm -hmm. coming down on my bladder, down on what's supposed to hold things in that just changed that because I feel like we hear a lot about with running, Oh, the force of your foot, right? Like the for every time your foot lands, it's 600 pounds of force or whatever. I don't even know what the, what the, the actual number is, but it's also just thinking about not just your foot, but the force that comes down on the entirety of your body. As well, we're going to get nerdy here for a half a minute. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? So whenever you, you like put that foot on the ground, right? That force goes through your body, right? And then gravity is going to come back through and come back down, right? And then you're doing that with both feet 150 to 180 times a minute, right? It's not going to take much to be like, oh, I'm, I'm tired. And the common analogy I've heard in the postpartum, postpartum training world is, you know, if you were to, you know, put your arms out with a bucket, right? And hold your arms straight, right? Okay, you could probably do that for a minute or so, but after a few minutes of keeping that isometric hold in a tension position, your arm's going to get tired and eventually you're going to spill the bucket. Um, so like your arm's going to come down, things are going to splash and it, it kind of fails without a ton of warning, right? So it's kind of like an all of a sudden, now I've just peed or all of a sudden I've just dropped that bucket because your muscles are trying really hard to do what you're asking it to do. But then they're just like, oh, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Our bodies are so amazing. Our bodies yeah. are so amazing. And again, I look back to that young runner self who had no clue. I just thought it was normal because I feel for me, and I'm curious your your experience with this, because I feel like when I, I gave birth in a time where people didn't really talk about any of this, that my, my children at the moment, you know, they're 13 and 11. And I feel like back then I never really heard any of that, or maybe I just wasn't in the communities that spoke about it. Whereas now I see it all the time on social media. There are different people who, who have given birth and they're documenting what they're doing. And I love seeing it. Speaking of the gentle movement, I love seeing the people they're laying on their back, knees bent and their hands on their belly. And they're just breathing and yep. working on connecting to breath. And again, for me, I'm like, oh, wait, where was this when, you know, 13 years ago, I'm sure, again, I'm sure it was out there, but I feel like more people are talking about it now, or at least maybe there's less shame about, about that. I don't know if it's for me, it was just my body's supposed to bounce back and come back. No problem mm -hmm. mentality. Thankfully the times have changed, but, um, so even when, I, so I did know about the pelvic floor, I found um, some pelvic floor training, uh, when I was pregnant with my first and the connection breath, I mentioned, you can actually do that while you're pregnant as well. And for my first, right. It was my first child. I was able to train, um, basically up to like 36, 37 weeks pregnant. And this is my wow. story. You don't have to do that. But for my second, I was so tired and I was like, retaining more water. And it just like, I couldn't move as much, but the one thing I did was the connection breath movements and this, this program that I had, um, which is eventually who I got my postnatal fitness specialist through was the 
woman who made that program that I wanted, like, if anything that I was going to do that day, I mean, maybe I would walk, but like, I would make sure that I did my connection breath work. Um, and it, it's really one of those of you need to make going back to the mom guilt for, you know, thinking about older kids, but you need to make the time for that. Um, and I just feel like the education, it's getting better, the education, but I think the access is still extremely limited in the United States specifically of, you know, I feel like every woman should go to a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, after that six month appointment or sorry, excuse me, six week appointment, right? The next step should be, let's get you into pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, mm. Even if you don't think you have problems, because you, especially if it's your first, you might not know that you have a problem, right? Um, and so I mentioned the Kegels and the breath and how you can practice the relaxing. When I did the pelvic floor physical therapy after my second, because I didn't realize I could ask for it after my first. Um, so I got it after my second there was like a, a little mini exercises, like we go to PT of like the relaxation and we worked on fast action and slow action, just like you have sprinting and easy runs in your running training. There was, you know, trying to get um, rapid contractions and then maximum release um, mm. and then holding it like a gentler, not like maximum tension, but for a longer period of time. So there was like a whole little program with the PT of how to exercise my pelvic floor that focused on tension and relaxation at, at different intervals, like we do with our running training. Um, but it was focused on the pelvic floor. So that's fascinating. I mean, it, again, I look back on all of that. And I'm like, I wish I had known just known about it. And it's to me, it's just fascinating that so many women are out there or people in female bodies like having kids, like we're all just having kids. Our bodies are going through massive transformations. I didn't even fully appreciate a C-section and how big of a surgery that is, right? Well, yes. And so I mentioned the different musculature of your pelvic floor. So there are women who think, well, I had a C-section. Uh, I don't need to worry about my pelvic floor. Well, we already talked about the weight of it. But in a C-section, they cut through your muscles, your abdominal muscles. So like, not only do you have the scar that you see on the outside, but there are layers of, of there's the skin and then there's the uh, muscles and the fascia, and then there's the uterus. So you have like th three big major layers that have all been stitched up uh, separately in a C-section. So they're all healing. Um, and, and those muscles have not been they've been cut in half. Again, if your bicep was cut in half, right, it's going to take a long time for that to heal and work like it used to again. And it's going to take some significant rehab, rehabilitation, recovery, and so forth to get it to a performing level. Which is almost kind of shocking that C-section and vaginal are treated the same at that six-week checkup right? Like, oh, totally. you know, so even just kind of going back to what you said, and I, I really love that. And I hope that people who are listening to this can understand that your six week checkup, it's like a progress check. 
it's not a you're perfect go do everything like you did before it's a progress along your journey to recovery so when i was pregnant and i feel like i would hear it all the time of you know it took your body 9 months to grow the baby you need to give your body 9 months to get back i think that's dumb <laughs> i think that's dumb i think it's it's and when you're talking about adding other children to it, like, I feel like I, quote unquote, bounced back quicker with my first because mm -hmm. that's the only one I had to worry about. I was figuring out. Whereas with the second, it's like to to what you said, it's all of a sudden here I have a newborn and I have a two-year-old and that two-year-old doesn't care that I have a newborn. They, she didn't, she just didn't. So it's just so interesting that we issue these blanket statements because again, I, the recovery I've been through both and the recovery was so different for each of them and physically just different. So in your experience, or if we could, if you had a magic wand, you had your Melissa wand and you're like, this is how everyone's going to train postpartum what would be some of the guidelines you have or some of the mileposts that people can have? So you have a new client or one of your existing athletes, they just had a baby and they're like, I want to run. I want to get back into it. How are you guiding them in that, again, recovery? I, I keep wanting to say like pregnancy is like an injury, right? And I don't, I feel like that's such a dramatic way to put it, but I feel like Runners only really understand being injured and coming back from an injury, right? Oh, right? Whereas pregnancy, I feel like people are like, oh, once the baby's out, I'm going to get back into it. And it's like, but wait, your body went through something massive. Well, and so obviously, and I know you know this, but everyone is going to be different. And there are so many factors that make it different. In addition to whatever I talked about, the different delivery types and having another child or not, um, does your baby sleep? Does your baby sleep at night? Um, are they colicky? Are they crying? How stressed are you? Are you experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety? Um, are you um, able to nourish yourself properly? Are you breastfeeding? Are you pumping? Um, and I say that just because as somebody who thought I needed this huge milk supply, I was breastfeeding and pumping um, to go back to work at six weeks with my first, like, whole, and holy stress monster. Um, are, are you back at work yet? Um, uh, if you're at work, right. If, if you're a working mom, are you back to work? Cause that's a whole other stress. Um, and just a little bit on my story, when I went back to work after my second, um, I actually had 12 weeks with him. Um, literally the day I went back, my boss was like, Oh, we'd like to have a meeting with you. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I haven't been in the office. I have no idea what's going on. And they basically asked me to take a leadership role within our department. And I'm like, it was my daughter's birthday. So she just turned two. I have a 12 week old baby. And now you want me to take on this leadership role? I was like, um, okay. And just the way that the program that I was involved with at the time with the teaching job was like a possibility for a promotion. Basically I took my job here to teach for a long time. Um, knowing I wouldn't get promoted, but we were talking about trying to make promotion paths. And I was like, well, if I don't turn this down and that promotion path option becomes available, or sorry, if I don't take this and that promotion path comes available, like I won't get promoted. 
So I basically took this job that was so stressful for me. Um, again, breastfeeding, pumping. And oh, by the way, my second child thought sleep was an option. Um, and he also ate all the time. Like kid ate like, like so much every three hours. And, you know, you feed for like 20, 30 minutes, change a diaper. I mean, he's, he, sleep was an option and he ate a lot. So therefore I wasn't sleeping, um, which then impacts your hormones. Um, mm. and so the other, whenever you have, obviously we know pregnancy and postpartum have a whole influx of hormones that shift and change. And sometimes whenever you or going through that, they change maybe for the better. Sometimes they can change for the worse. That's actually an opportunity for issues like Hashimoto's to present, which is what I also ended up with after my second, um, being diagnosed with Hashimoto's a year, when he was a little, uh, he was two years old when I was diagnosed wow. with that. Um, because he, once I stopped breastfeeding, like all of these symptoms started, like I got my period back and then the, it was awful, but I'm like, well, I guess that's, the case I didn't have a period for so long right and the doctor's like oh well yeah and I was 37 and I'm like I think I might be perimenopause and they're like well there's nothing wrong with you I'm like well is this perimenopause like am I going into early menopause they're like well I can't say that either and I got like no answer so I just kept searching and got the eventually found that you know I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's which is a whole other autoimmune disorder that affects your thyroid, which is your hormones. And anyway, that's been a whole other journey. That's a different conversation, but that's the opportunity for thyroid problems to come out is big hormonal shifts like puberty, uh, pregnancy and menopause is when those can sort of present themselves. And so huh. stress doesn't help it kind of stay at bay. So I had, you know, two kids under two, uh, or two and under at that point, a new stressor on a job. So learning lots, lots of new things, that ability to kind of work from home a little bit more was just, it didn't make sense to work from home. I couldn't work from home with two kids like, like they were. Um, so those are all the things to think about before you listen to what the guidelines would be, right? So where do you fit with each of those things? And there's clearly more, but those are the ones off the top of my head. Um, so, you know, hormones, your mental state at that time, which affects way more people than we know. Um, sleep, nutrition, breastfeeding, pumping, not breastfeeding, which all of those options are perfectly fine, by the way. Um, doesn't matter to me how you feed your baby. Um, I always said if I had a third child at this point, like pumping was such a pain being a working mom that I was like, if I had a third child, I would totally just be like, I'm not doing it. Now, mind yeah. you, I breastfed my first child to like 16 months old and was pregnant with my second before I weaned her. And like the next one was like a year and I was so done. And I'm like, nope, I just don't think I would do it. Like things change. <laughs> it takes but. a lot of time. And I feel like that's, that's one of the things when we want to get back, quote unquote, get back to life before we don't factor in how much life has changed. Because I think of that of, Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. The, the breastfeeding and the pumping. I felt like it was, even though my child would eat every three hours, it was really like, I only had a two hour break between feedings because it's feeding, then burping, then changing clothes, putting, trying to get the kid back to bed, at least in the early, in the early years or the early months, weeks. 
so I, I feel like that's such a great thing for people to think about because again, I, I feel from what I hear and what I see is that people are rushing so much to get back to that before that they don't realize that running is an addition, like running is stressful. Yes. Running is a stressor. And even though it feels good and it may clear your mind, like you're adding running into an equation that already has all these unknown factors into it. So I really appreciate that because I feel like that's something that we, I tell people all the time when I'm coaching or when I'm talking to people about their goals. So if someone says, oh, I want to run a marathon, half marathon, whatever the case is, one of the first questions I always have is like, all right, so, well, first question is tell me about your life. What's going on right now? And then a follow-up question is what time do you have to put into this? Right. Yeah. So specifically if I'm, I mean, I'm a little not as specific with regular people, but if it's somebody I'm coaching, I'm like, well, how many days a week do you think you can get in runs? Like is, is three too much? Cause if it's too much, let's talk about two. And, um, if, if you really think you can get five in, let's talk about what else you're going to do. Where's your strength training? Where's your recovery? Um, cause I feel like three is really a sweet spot for your mm. casual. I like to run races. I like to challenge myself. I like to have a goal three days a week is that sweet spot. Um, you can have at least a day recovery in between gives you time to get your strength training in time for your recovery. Um, and it's not as much time to take away from your family with that extra guilt of trying to get all of the running in. Um, and so I want women to know that, um, oh, there was one more myth I needed to add because it goes with this next piece that postpartum is forever. So we think that you're postpartum for a year. Um, but postpartum is forever. It goes back to like, you can't ever go back to before having a baby. Um, so once you've been pregnant, then after you're not pregnant, then you have been, you are postpartum. Um, so I went back and then forgot why I was going back. <laughs> um, all right. Well, no, you're good. I on. just, so I'm going to ask you a question and then if it comes back to you, let it come back. Okay. To you. Sorry. I was like, Oh, that plays into the year and I've lost my, it's, it's going to come. It's going to come. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll ask you a question. So I, I appreciate that, that kind of that mile post or guideline of three runs, because I think I like three runs. I feel like that can be pretty manageable for a lot of people. When people come back to run, are you recommending or are you encouraging people to start with like a run walk method? And then also, because you mentioned strength, is strength, strength is so important for women across the lifespan, but does it take even more, like, does it matter more in this postpartum period? So if I'm a runner and I just gave birth and I'm like, I want to get back into running. I want to do my four days a week and then two strength training, whatever the case is. Is it for you a recommendation of like, hey, let's pull back that one run day and let's add another strength session. How does that like, how so, do you balance that? 
I would actually probably say, depending on the person's lifestyle and all those different factors, I would get question one. Yes, I do a run, walk, return to running. And I do that even if they're just returning from running from like a break with like no injury. Um, And I had, I had one like, well, I, I already know I can walk. Like, I don't really want to walk for my warm up. Like, it's just for your, you know, your first couple of weeks, like two weeks and like short, the, we just need to get you in there. I just want your miles on your feet. And I count all those miles, right? If you have a half mile warm up, that's a half mile of your run for the day. Um, and so all those miles matter and they count whether they're running or they're walking when they're in that like warm up period. And I say like, if you're doing your walking warm up and you're feeling a little good, right? You can do a light jog, but it needs to be super, super easy until you're in that like easy pace, like easier than your easy pace. Um, Cause I, the warm up, the cool down, the recovery and sleep are those pieces that I think are holding runners back, mother runners specifically, um, because we don't get enough sleep. We're not, we, we do our runs and, oh, I have a meeting in 25 minutes. I can run for 20, get in, wipe my sweat, grab some water and log into my call. We're not cooling down. We're not doing a post-run stretch. Um, we are not doing our bodies a service by skipping out on those parts. So if somebody's trying to push for four runs a week and is already doing two strength a week, I would consider pulling back a run for a like full recovery session, but whether it be like a gentle yoga flow, I have some online that I usually recommend or a foam rolling session, go get a massage, um, something that helps promote that, take a nap, promote your recovery. Um, versus like you said, running is a stressor. And as much as it might clear my mind and make me feel really good when I'm done with it, it did add stress to my body. And so we have to make sure we are giving it the recovery it needs. And like one of the things I like to put in all of my runs is like a cool down period. Um, And it doesn't need to be a cool down run. I just, you're done running. Your run is over, but you're still running for a cool down. It's like, um, you know, think about professional athletes and the recovery they do. They don't come off the field and just go home for the day and live the rest of their lives. They're spending another couple hours with the trainer doing ice baths and stretching and taping and whatever else they do in there. Um, I'm not saying you need a couple hours. I'm just saying take five minutes and do some post-run stretches. Get your foam roller out. I know it hurts, but, you know, that will be extremely helpful for you. Like we said before for that next running activity. Um, Your question on the strength, strength is very important. As you get older, I know we're talking about postpartum, so eventually you're gonna be getting older. Um, Strength does become a larger component um, to maintaining your bone density and that muscle mass um, to keep you running stronger. And maybe, you know, if you wanna say competing with those old speeds, they probably won't be as fast because you are getting older at some point. There's a tipping point. Um, but having the ability to kind of keep going and feeling strong in all of your activities. Another thing on the PRs, um, I like to think of PRs as like, well, I might not have like my, my best PR. So I use Strava and, mm-hmm. you know, 
I've been using Strava for years. So clearly I'm not getting any PRs these days, but it does break up like segments and you can do segment PR. So, you know, I didn't run this one segment before having kids. Cause I didn't have, have, um, I didn't live here. Right. Um, so there's these segments you can do. So I, I like how Strava can kind of give you some PRs that the whole run isn't a PR. It's not like my fastest half marathon is probably past me. Um, but I can get these little segments and you can always check like, Ooh, what was my like mile fastest mile, like within that run. Um, so it has some cool features that can kind of help kind of propel us. And there's like, how am I getting better for my current self? Um, mm. versus my entire self, like kind of like a, a rolling window of how well I'm improving based off where we are in, in life. Right. So right now my kids are six and eight. I'd love to say they sleep, but they actually don't. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're doing much, much better these days. Last <laughs> night was the night no one was in my bed. The night before? No. Two nights before that? No. Um, but where are you in your sleep? So for the most part, I do sleep a lot better. Um, so I think you're going to ask me a question and I kept talking. I was just going to, again, kind of marvel at the female body, marvel at how we navigate the change in our bodies because we do carry the stress. We do carry the stress of everything that we do. And again, I, I shared earlier for me, it's, it's the script has kind of been reversed in terms of focusing more on strength because now my focus is, is less on race PRs and more on longevity in the sport. And I still struggle with that sometimes because I'm like, wait, but running is, is metrics based and all of that. Like I don't give myself the opportunity to celebrate that I, and I'm going to say it now, right? Like hopefully it continues. Right. But it's been like, it's been a decade since my last running injury. Like, yes, there's like niggles there here and there. And whenever something comes up, it's usually an indication that I need to change shoes or that I was sloppy in my run. And if I was sloppy in my run, it's because I need to go back to the strength training mm -hmm. to get less sloppy with my yeah. run. But I don't give myself that time. Like I don't celebrate that. I don't think about that. I'm going to start thinking about it now more. But how can women who are coming back to running postpartum, how can they celebrate themselves in the present moment so that they can snap out of, or at least check, check the language, the self-talk that is like, oh, before I was pregnant, I was this fast. Or before I was, you know, like that to me is so limiting and just doesn't let you honor what you've been through. Do you have any tips or tricks or words of encouragement? Because there's a lot of pregnant people out there that are yeah. gonna come back to running and they are going to get caught up in that comparison game, or they are going to be like, oh, like, I really love the people who are, this is my postpartum PR. And I'm like, I love that because yeah. they're celebrating where they are right now. How can we encourage more people to do that? Well, the postpartum PR is great. If I find someone saying like, oh, well, I didn't do this. I couldn't go, or I used to be so much faster before kids. I'm like, but you're no longer before kids. We're in a new phase of life. Um, and so 
the other, like, is your training the same as not, not, not to compare, but like, how does your training compare to that training before kids? Uh, I mean, like training for my first marathon in my twenties is totally different than how I trained for my like last half marathon earlier this year. Um, I mean, I literally planned them around nights out my tra- training runs in my twenties. Like, Oh, well, I need to do that on a Friday. Cause we've got a big weekend of partying to do. And now it's like, Oh, well, <laughs> my kids have all these sports on Saturday. So when am I going to get my long run in? It's probably going to be Sunday morning after like a whole day outside of all these sports. So just that that's a whole different mentality. So just kind of giving them that example of like, think of your training before you had a baby and how are you able to train now? There are differences. Mm. Your performance is going to be different. Um, so just trying to help them reframe it. Like you said, a uh, postpartum PR, um, you know, I, I, even now, I mean, I'm six years postpartum with my last child and, um, you know, it's like, oh, I had a 2023 PR or whichever, um, you know, trying to just shorten the time frame for which we want to celebrate ourselves. Well, if you haven't ran mm-hmm. in a year, so you have a child and it's a year after having a child and you start running. Yes, it's postpartum PR, but think of that as all like, oh, like I'm starting from here. I'm starting from today. And I know it's hard because we want to come back and we want to be like, oh, I'm going to run every day. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And we have to honor our recovery um, because that's the other piece of the training is the recovery, as I've mentioned. So could you recover when you were in your twenties? Sure. Right. Because guess what responsibilities I had? Like none, right. I had to show up to work. It was like my responsibility, right. I not only have to show up and work, I have to take care of my kids. I have to fold laundry, which I don't actually do very often. I sat and folded like eight loads of laundry on Tuesday from like a week and a half earlier. Um, yeah. But like, you know, and then your, your requirements, like sure you had laundry in your twenties, but it was laundry for yourself. Right. And I don't know, in my twenties, I was like, oh, well, I might wear that again. So I don't have to wash it as soon. Here I'm like, oh, I'm going to wash all of it because I'm washing clothes for four people. So there's just so much laundry More. all the time. Yep. And that mental load is playing on playback. When you're running, if you're thinking about, oh my gosh, when am I going to fold my laundry? When am I going to go to the grocery store? Right. You're, oh, it's almost like you're fueling that stressor, right? Instead of letting the running do the relaxing piece, right? You need to have a, an escape of those mental loads that as a mom pre-baby you didn't have. You didn't care about when you were doing laundry in your 20s when you were running um, or pre-baby, whatever age, pre-baby. You didn't really care about when you were going to get the laundry done because one, you probably didn't have spit up on clothes that were going to stink and diapers that had leaks that have exploded. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so great because it is a question that I will ask myself moving forward. I've asked myself as well, where it's tell me who you were when you did that PR, that whatever you're trying to get back to, tell me who you were then. And now tell me who you are now, because again, and I say it for myself as well, it's, I don't give myself the time to process all the change that has happened. 
So I like to, in, in my, my own coaching philosophy at this point is like, if it's a PR for more than a year ago, I don't even consider it. Like, I don't want to hear about that because life, a lot of life can happen in one year. Now, if I'm telling you, which for me, for those of you who are around here, right, my marathon PR was from 2016. At this point in time, I don't think I'll ever go back to that. I don't think like, I don't even register that because it's been seven years and so much has happened in seven years. Mainly I'm seven years older. Like I am seven years older than that, but I love that, that, that inquiry into, okay, so who was I in 2016 and then who am I now? Because once I start to list that out, I realize, oh yeah, yeah, I can't go back. I can't do what I did then, now. Just not feasible with my life, not feasible with how my body responds to training. Because I think that's a big one too is, and that's been a very hard one for me to understand is as I age, my body responds to training differently. Yep, for sure. It's just it. All right. I have three questions for you. So first question is, what does strong mean to you? Because strong is such a big part of your coaching, your values. What does that mean to you? And then how does that come through in any and all of your coaching? So strong to me is where you feel confident in reaching your goals. And then that like feeling of accomplishment, once the goal is reached. Um, so there's the day of, we'll use running obviously as example of like race day. Um, that might just be a crappy day for you. Right. And that race might not be as you wanted. It happens. Life happens. You maybe didn't sleep the night before. Maybe the weather was blah. Maybe you had a weird traffic challenge getting to the race. But strong is the whole pro, like the whole process, mm. um, getting through the whole process. Because just because you had a bad race day doesn't mean the whole thing was shot. Because we all wake up and have bad days. It's unfortunate when they maybe your period showed up, right? Whatever it might be, um, right? And you're like, what am I supposed to? That actually all happened to me on my five k I did a couple weeks ago. My period showed up like the day before, like like Friday night for a Saturday morning race. My, but, but we're both my kids up. Oh, I couldn't go to sleep for some reason, which isn't usually a challenge. And then my daughter came in at 3 a.m. and I had a 4 a.m. alarm set. And I was, she's like, oh, what time are you leaving? Can you get me this before you go? And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. So like, I slept for like five hours, had an hour drive to the race. And then I'm worried about like going to the bathroom at the right timing. So I don't leak while I'm running, like not pee leak, but period leak. Period. Yeah. And I was like, and then I had to like carry a tampon with me for like after, because I'm going to have to change after. And let me tell you, I've never changed a tampon in a porta potty and I don't ever want to do it again. It's an experience. It's totally an experience. Um, <laughs> I've been lucky enough to not have to do that before, but, um, so strong is that whole process. Like the whole training up to that was was great. That one day my run was fine. It, it you know, wasn't a PR, wasn't even a recent PR, but like, I felt great by the end. I knew I pushed myself too hard at the beginning, which is always a, a race problem. Um, 
And I was like, it, it was all good in the end. It was an odd feeling because I thought I was going to feel better. But I'm like, I had all those other variables that kind of made it a cr- crappy day, like performance day. Um, yeah. But then I also look at, talking about numbers and the pace, my pace looked awesome. The The total time made me sad, but my pace was great. And um, they, they equal the same thing, but it's that yeah. perception. Um, so strong is that process of putting in the work, feeling confident, getting to that starting line. Um, it's a bonus if you still have it at the finish line. But I love that because strong is, that's been a big word for me over the past few years of just wanting to feel strong. And then I'd say probably within the last six months, it's shifted a little bit to wanting to feel joy and mm. just joyful. And let me tell you, it makes such a big difference because I'll see the time and maybe I'll be a little bit disappointed about the time, but I'll move on from it so much quicker because I'll realize, no, actually I I wanted to feel strong. That's how I want. I wanted to finish feeling strong or I wanted to finish feeling joyful. And I did. And that's going to trump anything else because for me personally, the feeling is going to keep me showing up every single day. Whereas again, for me personally, when I focus on the time, I start to overthink and then just create a weight that I don't want to carry. So I I love that strong is the process and it is a process. Second to last question is what are your thoughts on making running more accessible and inclusive? So I feel like I've seen a shift in making it more accessible and inclusive. Um, a couple of, actually two of the big races I do every year have uh, a nonprofit that helps um, with the athletes that are um, disabled and wheel, running wheelchairs. Um, I can't remember the name of the one that's in Knoxville, it was something angels. Um, and at the last race, actually I didn't run that one last year. That's the one my mom runs every year, the Knoxville marathon. Um, we sat there and listened to, I guess the CEO or whatever of the nonprofit and had like some of the athletes in their, you know, running chairs. Um, and then like watching them running the next day as I was, you know, standing around cheering them on, it was like so impressive to see the, the runners and the, you know, the, the standing runners and then the, um, disabled runners that are either being pushed or, you know, wheelchairs, hand bikes, all that included in the race. And it's like, it's so amazing that we are able to do that. And, you know, they get like the first start, which I think is awesome. So they get out there and they don't have to weave through people. And it's so great to see the ability of adding that in. So that's one race that I I do go to every year. And the other race is a local one here uh, in Annapolis. And there's a, a believe they're a nonprofit athletes serving athletes. I'm not affiliated with them, but they do the similar thing here. And it was interesting because I didn't know what athlete serving athletes was. And I would be driving home from work every day and I would see the van in this parking lot. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that is. And I ran the race and I was like, oh, wow, that's that's awesome that that exists here. Um, and I just found another um, nonprofit, I think it's Live Water, that actually is helping um, mostly disabled veterans, I believe is how they explained it to me. 
get access to water sports like paddle boarding and kayaking and things like that since we're all in the water here not on the water but annapolis is a water town so i think it's improving and i think awareness of it could go much further um as far as diversity i do think that that it is uh for as simple as it is to throw on a pair of running shoes i feel like you know running is a very one colored sport in america um i mean obviously it took women years to get included and so i do see um other ethnicities running and i'm not talking about like other countries but like americans but i i definitely think that they are not as well representative as they are within the nation and i feel like some of that is not just like the running shoes um but the knowledge that you can run for fun right they they might do running in some sports but they're often coming from communities where you know people aren't just running through the communities you know the community i live in we have there's always somebody running on the street obviously maybe not 3 a.m but like if you're driving through during the daytime you're gonna come across a runner at some point um if not a runner at least a walker so a very active community um and then you know you might go to another community that nobody wants to even necessarily spend time outside and i think that there's a lot of work that could be done on ensuring access not just to the location but adequate running shoes i mean you mentioned when you have a little tweak it's probably running shoes well running shoes are not inexpensive and so when i think about you know people say well running is so simple and i use the word simple not easy um simple it's not complex mm-hmm. they're running shoes but running can actually be a sport that takes up a good chunk of money when you get running shoes and then oh you want if as a as a woman a sports bra if you need one right um which i do so those are expensive especially if you yep. good one that's gonna like keep it, everything from moving um and now we're just talking about like two items um uh, but you want to make you know oh it's hot you need to have hydration if summer is coming you need it can add up and it's not as easy whenever there aren't extra dollars in the budget to have a nice pair of running shoes and a good sports bra to keep your girls tame in a run. So then it isn't accessible to everyone because those items are not inexpensive. So I think that work needs to be done on the diversity of running in the US. Yeah, I agree with that because I if I, I love what you shared initially about the disabled runners because I think when we think of running, we very much so think of able bodies and running with your legs. So I love the invitation that you're offering all of us is that one, go spectate these races, like go check it out, go see them. But also the invitation to be more expansive with what we think of as running. Running doesn't just happen with your feet. Running can be a pair. It can be one person pushing another person in a wheelchair. And that person that's in the wheelchair is a runner and they Mm -hmm. feel like a runner. So I love that. And I also just, you know, to piggyback off of it, because I talk about it often, running isn't just going out the door and running. Running is, is your neighborhood safe to go do that? Is it like you said, for a lot of people, 
they don't think they can run because they don't have the freedom to run, right? Like that, oh no, I have to work two jobs to pay, like Mm -hmm. to pay. So no, running isn't for me. And it's like, no, but running is for you. But where's the community support that we're, that people have so that they can do the sport? Where are the, like you said, shoes. I get so amazed now when I see shoes that, that like, I feel like now it's, they're $150. If you can get a pair of running shoes, like a good pair of running shoes for a hundred dollars, that feels like a miracle. And mm-hmm. to what you said, there's sports bra, there's watches, there's safety gear. There's so much that goes into it. And for me, I always find, I love asking this question because it's so important for us to just talk about it and to build that awareness of making the sport more inclusive means that we are expanding what we view as running and also opening our eyes to the limitations that people have that are beyond their control, right? Like you said, can you walk out? I mean, I can, and you can, we can walk out our doors right now and go for a run because we feel safe in our neighborhood. Exactly. Not everyone has that, but we can start to talk about what needs to change so that at least the opportunity is there. So I really appreciate that. Final question for you is where can we follow you? Where can we find you? What do you have coming up that we can support and celebrate you in? All right. So I kind of hang out on Instagram. Um, I, I feel like I hate it, but yet I still keep going back. So my Instagram handle is strong mom underscore strong family. Um, mm-hmm. So I am, I am there. <laughs> the other place I like to hang out, I have a Facebook group called the strong mom run club. Um, and so you can search that on Facebook and um, ask to join that. That is a free community. Um I am launching. So I, like I mentioned at the beginning, I officially retired today, uh, from the Navy and that has opened up. Well, I thought it'd be a lot more time, but it's really not because running a business takes up way more time than anyone ever thought. But I have now uh, started my first, uh, like cohorts of running for specific races. So, um, Mm -hmm. probably by the time this launches, uh, that first cohort will be underway. Um, where we'll do weekly group runs, all training for that same race, working that community to support each other. Um, as you mentioned before, of like not needing to compete with each other, we're just out there together. Um, and then I plan to do a couple more for some other local runs in the next couple of months. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and for chatting with me on all things postpartum and in general, right? All things really relevant to us as women, as women experiencing this incredible and wonderful sport of running. I really appreciate you sharing everything you shared. Do you have any final words for us? Um, I didn't say this once throughout. I thought it would come up. So if you are postpartum, you are running, the time for when you're going to run is going to be dependent on how you feel, right? All those factors we talked about. But if you find yourself running and you start to pee, please stop and walk the rest of the way home. That's kind of like the one thing I just don't be like, well, I'm going to push through it. Um, that's your body signal to tell you to stop. Um, so I didn't get that piece out. Um, but if, if that's, remember we talked about all that pressure. So that's kind of the one thing I didn't get worked into the conversation. So if you pee while running, you should stop and walk home and maybe we should chat and make sure we're 
you're doing what you need to do. And maybe it's just a bad day because that's happened, but. Well, um, it's like what you said, it's the canister, right? Yeah. At that point, the muscles are like, we give up. So right. it's, so, are you, are you reaching a point where you're going to do yourself more harm than good? Exactly. So we just wanted to add that one little piece in there. Um, and then finally, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. It has been great to chat with you and to share information for all of those moms who want to run. And I know you want to get back out there um, and you will just be patient and listen to your body. I love that. Thank you all. See you next time. Bye. I often ask myself, does it make sense? And I feel like the postpartum period is a big opportunity for asking yourself if what you are doing makes sense given the new demands and stressors of life with a new human. Melissa said it best, and I can't amplify her words enough. Every person is different. Even with all the differences though, the postpartum period is a period for meeting yourself where you are and for embracing how different you may be from the before version of you. For more on Melissa, give her a follow on Instagram at strongmom underscore strongfamily and check out her website at melissasorvi.com slash smrc. If you're a mama, I would love to hear all about your postpartum experience and how you navigated or are navigating that time in your life. You can reach out to me on Instagram at The Cookie Runner or through my website at thecookierunner.net. You can also support this podcast with a rating, review, or a share. Until next time, run happy, run strong, and run true to you.